0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, September 7th, 2010. I'm Caleb Brown. The legal ideas fed to law students today are the arguments you'll be hearing a few years later in court. Walter Olson, a senior fellow at the Cato Institute, says the kinds of human rights arguments being applied to Obama administration agenda items have a long and troubling history.
1: Human rights is a concept that has been changing very rapidly. Uh, in the last couple of decades, and if you had asked people not too long ago what are human rights, you would have gotten a list of uh, the right not to be thrown in prison for your political beliefs, the right to free speech, perhaps the right to free religion. Um, These are the sorts of things that by and large made it into early declarations of human rights, such as the uh, one uh, promulgated not long after the founding of the United Nations. And the fascinating and in many ways disturbing newer trend is for... Uh, Human rights to begin changing, uh, new things to be packed into it, and perhaps old things taken out of it uh, at the same time. And in Uh, The book that I have coming out this winter, uh, Schools for Misrule, which is about uh, law schools and bad trends in the law schools, I uh, point out that by many accounts, the fastest growing area of uh, new projects in law schools, new uh, scholarship, new journals, new interest, is international human rights. And... uh, At first, that sounds kind of good. You know, finally someone is taking an interest in uh, what's happening to dissidents overseas or what's happening to the the sad state of uh, political liberty. Uh, Unfortunately, that is not much of what's going on. What's going on is that uh, the... Law school thinkers have been throwing themselves enthusiastically into this process of redefinition uh, in which things that might be politically desirable or might not, we can argue about that, uh, are redefined as things demanded by international human rights, uh, which leads to at a minimum, a new kind of moral suasion. For example, uh, Roger Pallan talked about how uh, things like a uh, right to health care or a uh, right to a job uh, are now included in lists of human rights. At a minimum, a country that adopts a more laissez-faire approach to that uh, can find itself under moral disapprobation. Uh, It can, uh, and indeed is, the target of... uh, 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 reports from the United Nations saying that uh, a country like the United States is not keeping up with its human rights obligations because uh, it does not have national uh, healthcare institutions on the scene and things like that, but. More ominous uh, than that, even, is the effort to construct enforcement mechanisms. And we follow, uh, usually, if we're not foreign policy experts, we follow only out of the corner of our eye the uh, advance of things like the International Criminal Court, the disputes over uh, whether or not the United Nations should get enforcement rights over some area of regulation. But it does tie in uh, very directly the uh, hope of many, of the law school visionaries on this is to go beyond something that is just um, morally persuasive to an enforcement mechanism.
0: How do these people get from the traditional definition uh, of human rights, things that uh, government protecting us from the bad acts of each other and the bad acts of of government itself? How do we get from that kind of definition to protecting you from, uh, I suppose, brute luck? (laughs)
1: Well, traditionally, international law comes from uh, two sources, uh, particularly international rights law, treaties, and what's called customary uh, international law. Rights. And with treaties, <coughs> we're all familiar with the process by which uh, you pass a law, and before long, the bureaucracy enforcing the law has seized on a vague word or two, and before long, it's regulating many more things than anyone predicted originally. Exactly the same sort of thing goes on with the language of treaties, in which uh, some feel-good language that no one objected to at the time, because it just seemed to be that you know all countries should look out for their older population, or whatever, uh, get seized on. And it is argued that that carries specific obligations, which may have been undebated or indeed undreamed of when the treaty was adopted. And This is something that many in Washington have seen coming for a while, and that's one reason the United States has refused to ratify many of the more ambitious uh, UN human rights treaties, and where it has ratified others has sometimes introduced so-called reservations, saying, well, all right, we are going to ratify or sign the treaty, but we are not going to let it be interpreted so as to uh, invalidate the way America does things on an issue that very famously on free speech, for example, Um, Many of the other countries, indeed most of the countries' uh, delegations to the UN, take the view that uh, simply to allow prejudiced speech is a violation of uh, international treaties against racial discrimination, and the United States uh, has stuck to its reservation through thick and thin, saying, uh, no, we will generally commit as a nation to uh, opposing racial discrimination, but we will not take the view that allowing private speech on the issue is somehow or other uh, a violation. And that's
0: the, the next issue is the, the when these things come into conflict, that is, uh, the human right not to be discriminated against through uh,
1: your speech or my speech, and... The right of free speech itself. Rights come into conflict, especially when you define them badly. Rights are much more likely to come into conflict with each other, and uh, the newly minted rights handed out by the new international law system very often come into conflict with what uh, we, as Americans, particularly if we're libertarian, recognize as uh, traditional rights of individual liberty. So. You have the extension and redefinition of the language in existing treaties. Then you've got the other side, which is called customary international law. And it's almost anything goes, because uh, the argument is that even if we have not signed or ratified a treaty, there are some uh, things that are so obviously violations of international human rights that we mustn't do them anyway uh, as a nation. And uh, you would think that would be only the drastic extreme things that all nations have condemned at all times. But no, it turns out that uh, positions that are held by relatively few countries are advanced in the international human rights literature as being emerging uh, customary international law as endorsed by the, quote, international community, unquote. And that term international community is fascinating to pin down because it, it isn't quite any... Government office, you can point to it. It seems to be more the few thousand people who really care about these issues uh, in in capitals around the world.
0: And when you say international community and uh, broadly defined the nations of the earth, There are most of these countries are not particularly good on a whole host of human rights issues. Oh,
1: they are not at all, and there's often a tremendous gulf between what the delegation to some international law body will claim is the recognized position of that country and the actual practice. The uh, claim of uh, an international human rights standard will be lofty and uh, sound wonderful, whatever its practical effect, and very often you, you look at the country from which that delegation came and they don't let women go out in public or whatever. They, um, you know, they, they, at, the, at the same time, they're saying that the Women's Rights Treaty must be ratified immediately.
0: For somebody like President Obama, who has spoken passionately about problems uh, with Darfur and uh, other legitimate human rights I- issues around the world to then rejoin this uh, human rights group at the UN... It, it seems to have occurred without much, uh, with much kerfuffle
1: at all. There is a long ideological background here. The Obama administration is ideologically very uh, close to the state of thinking on on the liberal side in the law schools. Uh, Obama was a law professor. He has staffed a lot of his administration with um, uh, well-respected law professors. Uh, Again, this is the theme of my book, that uh, the thinking that you see in law schools today is often the thinking you will get from a liberal democratic administration a few years from now. And uh, the trends in legal academia have been very much reflected in the Obama administration's approach. He has most famously chosen for the State Department's key legal official, uh, Harold Koh of Yale Law School, who is the best identified academic with uh, the, of, of the new international human rights. Uh, and he's staffed various other positions too. So clearly the Obama administration is much friendlier toward the new ideas of broad international human rights. Walter Olson is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. You can read more of
0: his work at cato.org.